Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Jesse Hempel, host of the Hello Monday podcast. In my 20s, I knew what career success looked like. In midlife, it's not that simple. Work is changing, we are changing, and there's no guidebook for how to make sense of it. Start your week with the Hello Monday podcast. Listen to Hello Monday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. been hearing the rumblings about the 1619 project in the new york times series of uh, articles and stuff like that and, uh, it's just kind of i just thought i can i can feel the heat sometimes from a story and i decide you know what i'm not ready to wade into that yet <laughs> I, I feel like i'm gonna have to but i'm just not ready for it yet. yeah anyway, I've, I've read some of it but it's uh it's come down upon me now and according to the uh the editor of the new york times the executive editor he signaled that the new york times is going to pivot from russia coverage you know why? <laughs> Going to pivot from Russia coverage to focusing on race in the run-up to the 2020 election. All good. Because the Russia coverage wasn't working for booting Trump out, so they thought maybe race and painting him as a racist would. Right. But the Times also declared it, quote, aims to reframe the country's history, understanding 1619 as our true founding, and placing the consequences of slavery and the con- contributions of black Americans at the very center of the story, we tell ourselves about who we are. Unquote. 1619 being the date of when uh, first started slipping sh- slaves to North America. That's our true founding. And some of the things that have been said during the uh, the the um, conversation about this in the 1619 project have been quite controversial. I would say, and they are not uh, restricted to that uh, journalism project either. You hear it all the time. It's taught in all the colleges and high schools of America. Uh, Tim Sandifer, Vice President for Litigation at the Goldwater Institute. Tim the Lawyer, 
uh, author of a number of tomes, including Frederick Douglass' Self-Made Man in a brand new book that I'm sure he'll tell us about, uh, joins us now. Hey, Tim, how are you? Just great. Thanks for having me back. Oh, it's it's our pleasure. Absolutely love the piece you wrote for Reason.com, which we will have linked so people can find it easily. Uh, we'll get on that. But um, first of all, what does this 1619 project get right, do you think? Or oh, You go ahead. You know, I'm glad you started with that because I think it's important to say that a lot of this stuff is very good. A lot of these articles um, really, un- really cover an area of history that, to be frank, I think many white people. Americans are completely ignorant of. I think, in my ex- anecdotal experience, white Americans are largely not very aware of the history of slavery and are almost totally ignorant of what came after that, which was the virtual re-enslavement of the South in the years that followed, um, about 1876 to 1900. Right, and, and, so and, the, the, and I would argue that, that, well. that people are also woefully ignorant of the fight to end slavery and how that worked, but anyway... That's exactly right, and that's the real shortcoming of the 1619 articles, is that it fails to address that, and it takes for granted this narrative that America was founded as a white supremacist nation, that slavery was protected in the Constitution, that this was the plan all along, that when the Founding Fathers wrote the Declaration of Independence, they did not mean all men are created equal when they wrote all men are created equal, that what they really meant was all white men are created equal. And that myth is taken as a, as a given assumption by these, the articles in the series. And that's, that's really objectionable. It's, it's not true as a factual matter, and it has a really deleterious effect on how people think about the United States. It, it, w- it would be far more accurate to say that America's real founding isn't slavery, but the abolition of slavery. That the Constitution of the United States as we know it today has a lot more in common with what happened in 1865 than with what happened in 1776. And the, the articles totally ignore that. And they totally ignore the efforts of political leaders in the 1830s to, to, to the beginning of the Civil War to fight back against the rise of white supremacist thinking, which did not happen at the founding, but happened with the generation that came after the founding. They were the ones who created this myth that the Constitution is only for white people. Right. That was a white supremacist notion that a lot of people fought against. I love the point you make about the white men who wrote the Declaration of Independence, Adams, uh, Madison, Washington, and Jefferson, slaveholders both, um, that when they wrote that document and the Constitution, what did they think that meant for slavery? Yeah, well, they meant they knew that it meant that slavery was inconsistent with their principles and could not be justified, and they said so. It, you know, on, to be frank, it, it's always mystified me that Jefferson takes so much flack on the issue of slavery when Jefferson at least risked his political career on several occasions because he spoke out against slavery. Now, did he do enough? Of course not. But in his own day, he was radical enough on the issue of slavery that he got beat down for it on multiple occasions and eventually gave it up because he knew that it was accomplishing nothing in, his, uh, in, in the direction of, of eliminating slavery. Now, maybe that was the wrong choice, but you, I think it's only fair to give Jefferson credit for having spoken out and said slavery was evil and could not be reconciled with the, con- with the Declaration of Independence. And so did the others. And, you know, to me, the really pivotal figure here, who, again, goes completely unmentioned in the Times article 
is a series of articles is John Quincy Adams, John Adams's son. John Quincy Adams was one of the greatest men in American history. He knew all of the founding fathers personally, and he was more or less the godfather of the anti-slavery movement in this country. He was his proteges were the were the guys who grew up to lead the anti-slavery movement. And John Quincy Adams was was under no illusions about the founding. He said the founding fathers were anti-slavery. They said so. They said slavery was inconsistent. Now they didn't do enough about it. They didn't under they didn't figure out a plan of how to eliminate slavery. But the idea that they thought that they thought slavery was a good thing is just a lie. And unfortunately, it's taken as as a granted assumption by many people on the left and it appears by the New York Times. What do you think the danger is of either understudying the role of slavery in our history or or taking it on the way the New York Times is? What are the the two um danger zones on either side knowing too little about slavery i think leads to this mythology um in two ways one is there's this romanticist idea that slavery wasn't so bad which is is revolting but i think that there are still quite a lot of people who who buy into this sort of gone with the wind picture that uh that really needs to be abolished and the second thing is that it, it then you don't understand what came afterwards, which was that at, in 1876, a decade after the Civil War, the the northern political leaders decided to stop protecting civil rights in the South, and they withdrew American uh, the the American army that had been stationed in the southern states to protect the freedmen against terrorist groups. And as a result, the South was condemned to another century of slavery. Incidentally, this is precisely the same argument that's going on right now with regard to Afghanistan, is that voters are tired of the effort of protecting a, a vulnerable class against terrorist groups. And their attitude is, well, let's just take our guns and go home. And, you know, whether that's right or wrong, we have to be clear eyed about the fact that that's going to condemn those people to at least another century of terrorist enslavement. Now, to, to me, the, uh, another really objectionable part is to, to look at the history of the nation as a whole rather than going state by state. And this is important for California because, you know, California, the, the arguments in the 1619 Project, is uh, basically it's trying to say that great American industries today are rooted in slavery and therefore that, it, that America's industrial and technological progress is at bottom based on slavery. Now, whatever you think about that, it's not true of California. California didn't have massive black manned enslaved plantations like the Old South did. If anything, California's industry is rooted on the exploitation of Chinese labor. The Chinese coolie system that built the railroads and manned the farms in the 19th century, none of that goes mentioned in the Times article. And although Chinese coolie labor wasn't as bad as slavery, nothing was as bad as slavery, it's the closest thing California ever had to slavery. And California is the most agriculturally productive state in the union. So if you're going to talk about this argument that somehow today's industry is rooted on slavery, you can't ignore the the abuses that the Chinese suffered in California history, and yet the articles com- are completely silent about that, and, and ignore other ethnic groups also, as if it's all just black versus white throughout American history. Tim the Lawyer Sandifer, Tim Sandifer from the Goldwater Institute, has written a, a terrific piece refuting the premise that this country is based on slavery. Um, and, and we're discussing that in uh, allied uh, questions. We're going to take a quick break, Tim, with your permission, and come back and, be, and chat some more. Be prepared. I want to ask you about what you think about reparations, because I think the whole New York, sure. the New York Times is trying to set up the presidential election 
Absolutely. be a lot about race, and a lot of the candidates are for reparations, and I just think that, that division well, and they conversation. they say they are. <laughs> All on the way on the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. So we're talking about this 1619 project in the New York Times, which is all about um, uh, discussing the role of slavery in the United States and uh, to many people's minds, really, really overstating it. And what they're really up to is they're trying to uh, set up the 2020 election as being all about the racist Trump and his racist followers. Right against everybody else that is uh, standing up for what is good and, and beautiful in the world. Right, and that, that there ends any discussion of Trump in this topic. I mean, because this is not about Trump. We're talking with Tim Sandifer, Tim the lawyer, as we've called him for years, as he started as a caller on this show. But uh, quoting from his own article today in uh, Reason at Reason dot com, where the sixteen nineteen articles go wrong is in a persistent and off key theme: an effort to prove that slavery is quote the country's very origin. And the source of, quote, nearly everything that is truly made ex- America exceptional. Slavery is the source of nearly everything that has truly made America exceptional. That's a hell of a statement. Great, Scott. Your reactor, uh, your reaction, Tim. Well, I think it's, for one thing, it's incredibly vulgar and materialistic to say that what makes America great is its wealth. What makes great America great is the principle that all men are created equal in the Declaration of Independence. And the authors of that document understood at the time that it was incompatible with slavery. And it's been the efforts of Americans ever since to make that truth more real in the lives of America, first by abolishing slavery and then through the civil rights movements and so forth. That's the true source of American greatness. And if it had not accomplished a dime for America, it would still make it the the greatest country to have been created, precisely because it's a matter of principle. And the people who understood that were people like Abraham Lincoln or John Quincy Adams or Frederick Douglass or Charles Sumner, who was nearly assassinated in the U.S. Senate for denouncing white supremacy. I mean, these people... Uh, their efforts go almost completely unmentioned in the Times articles, as if it was just a matter of course that America is rooted in slavery, was premised on slavery, that the color line was written into the Constitution, when in fact the Constitution doesn't even use the word slavery and provided no legal protections for slavery whatsoever. Right. There's so many aspects to this. I'm trying to decide which to go off on. One thing that's always bothered me about the uh, self-flagellation over slavery, which is, of course, just anathema. It's it's horrific. It's indefensible and unforgivable. But the idea that it's a uniquely American problem, slavery is universal, has been universal. Every continent on Earth, practically every country, um, and, and continues today. Yeah, um, and persists today. That's yeah, right. yeah. So I and, just and those things go unmentioned by in all of these debates. And the the reason why is because, as as Jack mentioned, the 1619 project is only partly about history. It's also really being used for political purposes, and that slavery discussions in the United States are so frequently used instrumentally, not to actually talk about slavery, but in order to advocate some contemporary project to redistribute wealth, and in the 1619 Project's case, to attack capitalism itself, when in fact it was capitalism that destroyed slavery. And it was uh, and it was slavery's defenders who fashioned the arguments against capitalism that are still being used today. The idea that it's too individualistic, that it's based on greed, et cetera, et cetera. All those arguments were created by slavery's defenders, and they're trotted out today as if 
by, by historians or pseudo-historians who try to argue that slavery is somehow a form of capitalism. That's fascinating. Which is not only, not only insane, but even Karl Marx didn't think that slavery was a form of capitalism. That is fascinating. Yeah, it it really is. So, uh, speaking of uh, redistribution of wealth, it's my personal belief that there are uh, almost no politicians with two brain cells to rub together that actually think reparations ought to happen. But what's your answer to the idea of reparations? I'm, I'm in, I favor reparations to any person who is actually a slave. Um, with regard to those who are descendants of slaves, uh, no, of course not. I, I, the idea that, for one thing, not only does that inflict injuries and injustices on people who are not responsible for those crimes, but it it fosters this bizarre idea that slavery could be wiped out by a single act, that the legacy of slavery could be wiped out by a single act. And and so history is way too messy for that. This, the idea that slavery could be somehow resolved through reparations leads to the idea that you could pass a law through Congress today to re- redistribute wealth, and then there you go, slavery's over, we never have to hear about it again. Well, that's crazy. Uh, sla- if the legacy of slavery has inflicted so many harms on so many people, then the only way to resolve it is on an individual case-by-case basis over the long haul by treating people justly today not by taking wealth from the descendants of people whose ancestors came to this this country after the civil war and and giving it, and and who themselves suffered discrimination and and violence and giving it to other descendants of people whose ancestors were brought here against their will and and forced into slavery that that sort of of intergenerational uh redistribution or intergenerational resentment is a recipe for political disaster in the long run. We know that because we've seen it happen time and time again in countries around the world. Tim, you've been incredibly fair on this topic. I think anybody who reads your article at Reason.com, which we'll link at armstrongandgetty.com as soon as it comes out, um, uh, you've been fair and you point out you know, the flaws in, 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 our, in our past. But f- for a, a black child born today, how much are they facing um, you know, leftover bad stuff from slavery that that is in their faces as an oppositional force to being successful well there's i would say there's two answers to that i think the i think for us in some ways the answer is it's pervasive and it's pervasive largely through white ignorance of slavery's legacy and and the reality of slavery the the fact that for a lot of white americans their knowledge of slavery comes from watching gone with the wind and roots um and so as a result, they don't really understand the, the, the effects it had. And so that is going to haunt the life of any black child in the country. The second answer is that it's, it depends on the, on the child. It depends on its family circumstances, where he's born, what the socioeconomic status of that child is, because it's an, it has to be looked at as an individual case-by-case basis. And obviously, I could not presume to say what any individual black American's life is like. Nobody could. Right. And it's it, it, one of the problems with approaching the issue of slavery in the way the Times does is that it takes that attitude, that you can look at it in broad terms like that. Tim Sandifer is the vice president for litigation, Goldwater Institute, uh, uh, the, the author of the absolutely fantastic Frederick Douglass Self-Made Man and a brand new tome that we'll be uh, talking to Tim about in a few days. Uh, Tim, we sure appreciate the time. We'll make sure everybody reads the uh, great piece you wrote for reason. Thanks, guys. Oh, it's our pleasure. Thank you. Tell me you'll hear a better, fair and balanced, to borrow a term, conversation about that topic than that. Anywhere. You You will not, sir. You will not. You will not. Marshall's News is next on the Armstrong and Getty Show. 
If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Jesse Hempel, host of the Hello Monday podcast. In my 20s, I knew what career success looked like. In midlife, it's not that simple. Work is changing, we are changing, and there's no guidebook for how to make sense of it. Start your week with the Hello Monday podcast. Listen to Hello Monday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Leah Smart, host of Everyday Better, an award-winning weekly podcast dedicated to personal development. Whether you're looking for ways to shift your mindset or seeking more fulfillment in your life, we've got you covered. Join me as we dive into captivating stories and research-backed ideas that have empowered me and others to lead lives with more clarity and intention. Everyday Better, making growth an everyday practice. Listen to Everyday Better on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.